0: Good morning again glad you're here welcome. Uh, we really do desire at Christ Central to be a community of people that welcomes all of you uh, to be a part of an imperfect community. Uh, we realize nobody here has it together and so we hope you can feel like you don't have to come into our community and, and put it put on a face or pretend that you can openly wrestle with your faith and be honest about where you are and we trust that God is working in us as a diverse community that seeks His glory and so I'm really glad you're with us. We're beginning a new series this morning, four weeks in the Old Testament book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah, if you're familiar with the Bible, maybe you know Jonah for for being the prophet who's in the belly of the whale. Uh, And so let me quickly say, do not get distracted by whether or not Jonah literally got swallowed by a great fish or not. Really don't want this to be a sticking point during our time in this powerful book. I will say, though, that if If you you believe Jesus resurrected from the dead after three days, why not Jonah in the belly of a great fish? But I do realize some of you may not believe in miracles. So stick with us as we walk our way through Jonah. There's a lot of things that we can learn uh, from this book. It is not about a whale. It's not even about Jonah, really. It's mostly about the heart of God, his mercy and his love towards us and this world. So I'm going to read Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 16. As our custom, I'm going to ask you to stand as we give attention to God's word. This is God's word to us this morning. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from and what is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade. But God's word endures forever. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would come and speak to us by your spirit this morning. God, I pray that those of us in here who are prone to wonder, prone to leave you and your ways, that you would chase us down this morning through your word. You would speak to us. You would draw us back by your mercy. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, a few weeks ago, uh, we spent some time with my in-laws and we were talking about the goodness and the gift of bacon, the gift of bacon. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? Bacon, It's a good gift. While we were talking, I remembered this old TV show, Parent Swap. It was a show where families would swap parents, and, and so the children would come under the authority of these new parents, which meant new rules. And there was this one episode where a new mother came in to this home that, that the family had really poor and bad eating habits, and, and she started to throw away all the junk food. She opened up the refrigerator and she said, I'm going to toss away this bacon. And all of a sudden, the TV screen scans to this 10-year-old who's getting irate. You can't throw away the bacon. This is crazy. Bacon is good for me. And that became the mantra of me and my friends for a number of years. Bacon is good for me. And I get his anger. What's she doing? Who did she think she was? And the next scene, this 10-year-old is packing his bag, and he's saying, I can't take this. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She thinks she's the queen. I'm leaving. I'm running away. And then you see him running out the door. I ran away from home one time as a seven-year-old. I can't even remember what my parents told me to do, but I didn't want to do it. I didn't like it. I thought it was extremely unfair. And so I packed my bag, told them I was running away. And I walked out the front door and I made it to the beginning of my neighborhood before I got too scared and I came back home. When things don't go according to our plans... According to what is right in our minds, a natural place to go is away. To push away, drift away, run away. Jonah is a story of a man, a prophet, running away from God and a story of the pursuit of a sovereign God of mercy. There are a lot of reasons that we'll see that Jonah's running away. But the main reason Jonah runs is because God does not act in the way Jonah thinks he should act. Jonah wants a God of his own making, a God that will do things the way Jonah would do them. Yet Jonah can't control, can't dictate to God, and he can't call God to act in the ways he wants him to. And so this frustrates Jonah. He gets angry. He disagrees and he mistrusts God. Therefore, He runs away. So I want us to look this morning at Jonah the runaway and God the pursuer. Let's look first at Jonah the runaway. One other place in scripture that speaks about Jonah, the son of Amittai, is 2 Kings chapter 14. And there we don't see much except that Jonah is a prophet of God. And what that means is that Jonah would get messages from God and then deliver them to God's people. So we know that Jonah had a clear call to his ministry as a prophet and therefore he enjoyed deep fellowship with God. Other than that, we don't know much until this book of Jonah. So let's look at verse one. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. This is how most prophetic writings begin. God's word coming directly to the prophet. But what God says in verse two was a complete shock. God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil Has come up before me. And this was shocking in many ways. Jonah was a Hebrew prophet. And now he's being called to leave Israel, go to a Gentile city. This was unprecedented, by the way. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, other prophets in the Old Testament were prophets who called out and cried out to Israel to believe and trust God. But God is telling Jonah to go outside of Israel, call out and cry out to the Gentiles that they might believe in God. God had never done this. Not only that, but Nineveh was in Assyria, which was one of the cruelest and most violent empires. Assyrian history, as one historian said, was one that was so gory and blood-curdling as history as we've never seen before. After capturing enemies, the Assyrians would typically cut off their legs and one arm, leaving the other arm and hand so that they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as they died. They burned adolescents. they captured, they tortured. The Assyrians have been called a terrorist state. Nineveh was a great city in Assyria, meaning they had incredible military and cultural power. So this call doesn't make any sense to Jonah. If he goes to Nineveh, he won't make it long. He's going to be killed by this terrorist state. But even deeper for Jonah, why would God want to show mercy to these people? They were evil. They deserved justice, not mercy. Now listen, Jonah definitely had an issue with the job that he was given. He had an issue with this call. But he had a bigger issue with the God who gave it to him. So what does Jonah do? He does the complete opposite. Instead of going east to Nineveh, he goes west to Tarshish. Instead of traveling on land to Nineveh, he sails by sea to Tarshish. Sent to a big city, Nineveh, he buys a one-way ticket to the end of the world. Jonah runs away from his call and from God. This is an issue for all of us. The Lord of heaven and earth is not a God that we can control dictate or command the real God is an enigma in many ways he shows mercy where we might not show mercy he withholds justice when we want justice now he acts in ways that we may not act and when things happen in our lives that we don't agree with when we think God is being unfair Jonah syndrome start to show up in our lives we doubt God's goodness wisdom and justice Think about our lives, diagnosis that you weren't expecting, sudden death of a friend or a family member, the loss of a job, another failed dating relationship, infertility, miscarriage, a spouse that is unfaithful, an election that you disagree with, a national crisis, really any expectation that's unmet. When these things happen in our lives, we can question God himself. God, are you good? God, what are you doing? Yes, we have a problem with what is happening, but our bigger problem is with the God who rules over all things. And so what do we do? We push away. We drift away or we run away. So let's look at Jonah's running away from God because I think he can help us diagnose our own running away and give us insights. The first thing we see about Jonah is that Jonah did not listen to the, to the word of the Lord. Look at, again, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It came upon him. God's voice and God's revelation were very clear. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Jonah's problem was not a questioning about God and God's revelation. So Jonah's issue wasn't intellectual. Jonah didn't need to go consult some commentaries to cipher God's meeting. God's word was very clear. And I would say oftentimes our problem rarely is intellectual either. Yes, we have intellectual questions. Yes, we have struggles and things we wrestle with, but more often than not, it's not that we don't know what God is saying, rather that we do and we just don't like it. It's a heart issue. We just don't like the God who is revealed. We would rather a God of our own making. But God has revealed himself to us. He has spoken clearly to us in the scriptures. And if we're unwilling to listen to him through his word, it's a very good indicator that like Jonah, we're drifting away. We're running away. For when God says to love your enemy or to forgive those who have hurt you, or to give generously or to seek justice and love mercy and to walk humbly with him or to share the hope that we have in Christ with those around us, are you, are we willing to listen? Do we follow his word? Second thing we see about Jonah is that Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. Verse 3, flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Again in verse 3, he went away from the presence of the Lord. This could be translated that Jonah fled from the face of the Lord. See, Jonah knew that he could not flee from God's omnipresence, God's everywhere presence. He knew the words of David from Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. So Jonah's not fleeing from God's omnipresence. Rather, he's fleeing from God's felt presence. Jonah is running away from being near and close to God. He's running away from the face of the Lord. One of the most rebellious times as a Christian for me in my life came in my second year as a seminary student. Here I am studying to become a pastor. (laughs) And it's one of the most rebellious. And, And I look back and it's because I was dealing with a lot of anger. And now I can be honest. I don't know if I knew at the time, but I was really angry at God. I was frustrated at the time why I wasn't married. I was uh, going through and kind of reflecting on hurt that I had experienced in my life and hurt that I was going through in the present time. And and so the last thing I wanted to do was be forced to read my Bible for school. The last thing I wanted to do was to be near God. So I ran through the motions of seminary. I I was a kind of intern on a church staff preaching once a month, leading Bible studies, but I had no desire. To be close to God, which showed itself by me not availing myself to the means that He offers to come near the face of the Lord. These means like prayer, where God uses it to draw us to Himself, or solitude, or singing, or silence, or Sunday morning worship and the sacraments that are administered. So if our prayer lives are atrophying, if our attendance to Sunday morning worship is minimal. If we're not stopping to be alone with God in silence and solitude and song to behold and to wonder, it's a very good indicator that we're drifting at sea. For some reason, a heart reason, we don't want to be near the face of the Lord. Here's the last thing we'll see from Jonah. Jonah was sleeping through God's storm. Jonah's on the ship sailing to Tarshish, fleeing from God's presence, a major storm arises, so much so that the, th- the ship is threatening to break up. It's such a strong storm that these skilled sailors are greatly afraid. But verse 5, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, translates verse 5, Jonah is snoring. <laughs> Jonah is snoring. Now, perhaps Jonah's exhausted from his running away, but more likely I believe Jonah is engaging in what one person has called the sleep of sorrow. Jonah's trying to escape his reality through sleep. Haven't you at times wanted to just be able to go to sleep at night and wake up and things were different? Or take a nap and and things are different. Maybe it was just a nightmare, a figment of imagination. Let me just go to bed, wake up, and things will be new. What's happening is a desire to escape reality. We all can seek escape from reality. Some of it, it's sleep. For some of us, it's through Netflix and binging on TV or alcohol or the drug of our choosing or through work or through our families. It's giving yourself to something that allows you not to deal with reality. Reality. Now, I want to highlight a few things in Jonah's running away that I think could be interpreted as closeness to God. But I think they're dangers. I think they're traps that we can fall into. The first thing is activity. Jonah's sudden flight, right, no one else knows what's going on but Jonah and God. All of a sudden, his sudden flight, he buys a ticket to sail to Tarshish. This could have been seen by those around Jonah as him being missional. Jonah's going somewhere. He's going to do something but really he's just covering over a runaway heart. That is to say a flurry of activity in your life in the name of mission or ministry is not a substitute for obedience and closeness to the Lord. You can be very active, but have a heart that is distant from God. The second thing we see is providence. Jonah flees from the Lord and he finds exactly what he's looking for a ship that will take him in the opposite direction of Nineveh finds exactly what he needs to carry out his disobedience. Jonah could have been thinking, man, God's being merciful at this boat, this ship. What a gracious, gracious provision, great, great providence. There's a lot of shishes in this sermon. Tarshish. I was, I told my wife, I was like, I gotta say Tarshish a lot. Um, This is an incredible ship. It's providential. God is providing it. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, a great 19th century preacher, once described a, a school friend who had a very violent temper. He would often flare up with his anger, and Spurgeon would recall how he would throw something when he was angry. And what struck Spurgeon was not that he got angry, and it wasn't that he threw something when he was angry, but that whenever he was angry, there was always something there to throw. I like that. Is that not true for us? That when we have a heart of rebellion against God, there will frequently be the providential means put before us to carry out our rebellion. Here's what I'm getting at. We cannot always trust our experience as premium. Opportunities for disobedience will always be available for us to experience. Now, I'm all for experience. I'm all for God working by his spirit to lead and guide and to work in mysterious ways. But we need to be aware of the danger of being guided by providence or experience, particularly when we refuse to be be guided by God's word. Here's the last danger, the last trap, fruit. Jonah's fleeing was not without spiritual fruit. The sailors on the boat were impacted, verse 16. Ultimately, these men feared the Lord. God bore fruit in Jonah's disobedience, which is to say fruitful ministry is not itself a guarantee of closeness to God. Hurts. Spiritual fruit is God's, not ours. Beware of the danger of mistaking usefulness to God for communion with God. I think you'd all agree by now that the spirit of Jonah lives well within the church today. It did not die in the belly of the fish. Our hearts are prone to wonder, prone to drift away and run away, especially when God does not act in the way we would or the way we would want. But thanks be to God that our God is a God of sovereign mercy who chases us down in our rebellion. 19th century poet Francis Thompson penned a poem, Hound of Heaven, to describe the experience of us running away, yet God being the one who chases us down in his love and mercy. It's a great image. The hound of heaven. He runs us down. He chases us down. He does not relent in his pursuit of us. So let's look at this God of mercy. And Jonah's running away. It's not long. Verse 4, before the Lord, the hound of heaven, is coming after Jonah. Verse 4, but the Lord. Jonah's heart's desire is to flee from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord. These might be the greatest words in all of scripture. But the Lord. He intervenes with his mercy to draw us back to himself. We can be runaways, but God does not let us go. He comes after us. There are two ways that we see God intervening and pouring out his mercy on Jonah to arouse Jonah out of this sleep of sorrow. The first is that God sends storms. Look at verse four, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. God uses a storm to wake Jonah up from his backsliding. Now listen, I know it's hard to understand and to discern God's love and purposes behind many of our trials and difficulties. I know it is, but it is more hopeless to imagine that God has no control over the storms of our lives and that our sufferings are random and meaningless. I read a story this past uh, week about a moth, actually the, the emperor moth, And the story went like this. A man found a cocoon of the emperor moth, and and he took it home to watch this moth emerge. Well, one day a small opening appeared, and for several hours the, the moth struggled but couldn't seem to force its body past a certain point. And deciding something was wrong, the man took scissors and snipped the remaining bit of the cocoon. And the moth emerged easily, its body large and swollen, the wings small and shriveled. He expected that in a few hours the wings would spread out into their natural beauty, but they didn't. Instead of developing into a creature free to fly, the moth spent its life dragging around a swollen body and shriveled wings. The constricting cocoon and the struggle necessary to pass through the tiny opening are God's way of forcing fluid from the body into the wings of the moth. The struggle is exactly what the moth needs to become what God intends. I know storms and struggles are no fun for us to experience, but oftentimes they are God's sovereign mercy to mold us into who he wants us to be and to draw us back to his presence and his heart. Second thing we see about God is that God uses the unbelieving world Now, I wish we could spend more time contrasting these sailors on the ship with with Jonah, because there's a lot here. But let me just make a few comments. These sailors act with more faith than the prophet. Verse 5, they pray to their gods, their pagan gods, while the prophet is prayerless. They're trying to save the ship and everyone who's on board while Jonah is only concerned with himself. Jonah is sent to point non believers to God, but now God uses non believers to point the prophet to God. Verse 6 says, The voice of the captain says, Arise, which is the same call that God ushered Jonah in verse 1. The point is that God's voice would have been heard through the voice of these sailors. A the biblical doctrine called common grace. It's the truth that God bestows gifts on all of humanity, believing and unbelieving, that all of humanity is made in his image. Therefore, God uses all people for his glory. For Jonah, the lives of these sailors was a wake-up call, was a rebuke to Jonah. Jonah is the prophet with his clear call to go to, to Nineveh. He's not praying, and in the midst of the storm, he doesn't care about anyone but himself. While these sailors are praying and trying to figure out how to save the ship, using all their resources for the sake of the good of all. Tim Keller said that Jonah's private faith has no public good. I'm sad to say that too often this is the case for many of us inside the church. That our relationship with God does not impact the way we live for those around us. That our personal faith is not fleshed out for the good of the world. Those outside of the church often outdo the church in many ways. Works of justice, works of mercy, works of beauty, and thanks be to God that God uses all people, regardless of race, class, and even religious belief. All this is to say is that we can learn from the world. We can learn from those who are outside the Christian faith and that God often uses the world to teach and rebuke the church. Our personal and private faith is to be used for the public good of God's world. And if we're running away from God, we will not be concerned for the world. We'll be asleep and turned in on our own problems. Let me put it practically. If crime plagues communities, if education is not equitable, If there is not good health care for all, if there are no jobs, we are called by God to seek his mercy and justice for all people. And we should allow those outside of the faith to teach us how to work for the same things that we seek after and even rebuke us for the ways that we don't work for them. So I'll just insert again what Timothy said earlier. Every one of us should vote on Tuesday. To use our right and our responsibility to consider who should be elected for the sake of the good of Durham. So please go vote. God uses the world, He uses the unbelieving world to pour out His mercy on us. And I'm thankful for many of my non believing friends who have taught me so much about God. They may not have known they were teaching me about God, but I know they were teaching me about God. So go back to Jonah. These sailors, they're panicking in the storm. And they all realized the only way to quiet this storm was for Jonah to be thrown into the sea. Price had to be paid and the price was Jonah's life and Jonah knew it too. So in verse 12, he says, pick me up and throw me in. In verse 15, they picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the sea, which again evokes God. Same wording as verse four, the Lord Lord hurled onto the sea a great storm. God's involved in all of this, the hurling of the storm and the hurling of Jonah into the sea. Immediately, the sea ceased raging. Peace and calm for all on the ship. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That Jesus himself would pay the price of justice for our rebellion and the world's rebellion, so that mercy and peace could be offered to us and the world. Jesus is greater than Jonah. He'd give his life over to death on a cross, bearing the weight of sin for the sake of the whole world. Three days in utter darkness, separated from the Father and the Spirit, yet he would rise from the dead, so that God's mercy could be extended to you and to me. Would you allow the mercy of God seen in Christ to draw you back to Himself today? All of our hearts are prone to wonder. For all honest, we prefer a God of our own making, and so we get frustrated and we get angry when God doesn't act in the ways we think He should. So we drift away, we run away. But the Lord, but the Lord will not relent in his pursuit of us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would pursue us, the hound of heaven come after us. All of us are push away, drift away, run away in all different ways. But you know, you know what's going on in our lives. Thank you that you come after us. You're coming after us this morning through this whole service, your word. And now as we come to your table, grab a hold of our wandering hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.